0: Hello, my name is Léa Marchal, a French journalist based in Brussels to cover European affairs. In my previous podcast for Euronet Plus, I talked about the possibility of Ukraine joining the EU. I remember well that I started working on this story in mid-February in a tense but still non-war context. When I did my podcast, I felt it was a good time because the discussions about Ukraine's membership were starting again. Unfortunately, war broke out. A few days later, Ukraine sent its official application for EU membership, and I explained what that meant. Since then, things have continued to move on on this issue of EU enlargement. That is why today, in this Euronet Plus podcast, Voices from Brussels, I come back to the same subject to see what impact the war in Ukraine might have on Europe's enlargement policy. Enlargement policy has been frozen for 10 years. The last time the European bloc welcomed the country, it was Croatia from the Western Balkan region which joined the Union last in 2013. And this actually also happened 10 years after it first applied for membership. Why is that? Because the EU's enlargement policy is a sensitive issue and it has been put on the back burner in past years. Countries in the EU have always debated what should come first, enlarging or consolidating the Union. It is also a complex process because one country has to go through many reforms to be able to join the bloc. Four Balkan countries are already official candidates to become EU member. From the oldest to the most recent, North Macedonia since 2005 already, Montenegro, Serbia and Albania. Turkey has also been a candidate for almost 20 years, but there are no discussions in sight to bring the country closer to the EU. But war has broken out on its borders and Russia's invasion of Ukraine has generated instability on the bloc's borders. Now other countries in the region want to follow the same road. Since 24 February and the start of the Russian invasion, Ukraine, but also Moldova and Georgia have formally applied to join the EU, but they have swelled the queue that sees no progress for years. Regarding the decision to grant them the candidate status, the European Commission is expected to give its opinion to the EU leaders at their summit in June. After that, the 27 member states will have to unanimously greenlight the candidate status of these countries. Now, while member states have declared their full support for the European perspective of these countries, there is a long way to go before their integration becomes a reality. To understand why, I invite you to listen to the previous podcast from February. But I am sure nobody in this hemicycle can doubt that a people that stands up so bravely for our European values belongs in our European family. This was Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission, on 1st of March in the European Parliament, a few moments after Ukrainian President Zelensky addressed the MEPs live. The war was a wake-up call for the EU to ensure stability in its direct neighbourhood, according to Florian Bieber. He is a political scientist and professor at the University of Graz in Austria. I met him during an event on this topic of enlargement in Brussels, which was hosted by the European Policy Centre. Florian Bieber explained to me why the EU may want to open arms to the latest candidates. And indeed, the EU has shown that it was seeking to reinforce relations with its allies in order to counter Russia.
1: There's a realization that this is a geopolitical issue and, um, and leaving them out is a problem. Um, and it, is, it is also leaves the EU exposed in a certain way in an area where other actors have become active in a very malign way uh, in recent years, not just Russia, but also China. And that that can't be in the interest of the European Union to have, uh, have this kind of intervention in a negative way so 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 visibly.
0: Now, if Ukraine, Georgia and Moldova formally get the candidate status soon, it does not mean the EU membership for these countries is near. A process of several years would initiate. But for many, this first step is a clear symbol. I talked to Andrei Kovachev, who is a member of the European Parliament. He is Bulgarian and a member of the center-right EPP Group. Concerning Ukraine, he is part of the people who think we need to send clear signals of solidarity.
2: For the moment, we need to, to show full solidarity with the Ukrainian people, with the leadership of Ukraine, which is fighting in the front. We are in a war. I mean, this is a, a dramatical situation and we need to show full solidarity. We need to show that we are prepared and they are not isolated from our European project. They can and uh, will be accepted as a candidate country. We will open on a fast track many things which was not open so fast to other countries. But until we are in a war situation, uh, we, uh, it is difficult to predict the full membership. Uh, and this is uh, finally a symbolic act. Uh, for me, the symbolic act uh, now is that they are candidate country for the European Union and they have our full solidarity and uh, uh, that the Russians understand this solidarity is not limited in time.
0: There is a clear consensus on the need to quickly give Ukraine guarantees on its European future. But this surge also reminds us that candidates from the Western Balkans have long been waiting at the EU's doorstep. Although some candidates have started negotiations, these are proceeding at a slow pace and both political and technical elements are blocking the way. Until recently, the focus has been on Albania and North Macedonia, which the European Commission considers ready to start negotiations, but which have not done so the EU is not in a hurry to speed up the process according to Florian Bieber.
1: Well before the the war there was not a sense of urgency in the European Union in the sense that this was not that important it was nearly seen as an automatic kind of process which will happen one day or the other Um, no particular need to push things Um, and I think this kind of sense of lack of urgency really really undermined the commitment to this process and then of course problems in the region the sense that the region was not fully democratic and still isn't um, that there are uh, serious uh, bilateral disputes also gives a sense well this region isn't quite ready for membership so this allows member states to kind of push it down the road and saying well this is not really the most important thing or at least let's wait until the countries are ready and of course i would say that uh, some of the elites in the region also like that because they can then blame the eu and the eu member states can blame blame the countries and then everybody can you know say it's not our fault and that of course uh, absolves everybody from the responsibility of not getting this process moving forward
0: During the same event, Milena Lazarevich, who is Programme Director at European Policy Centre Belgrade, argued that it is not possible to be perfect before accessing the EU. For her, the political will is needed to move forward with the process. But candidate countries in the Western Balkans face varying degrees of opposition from EU countries to their entry into the Union. This is the case with Albania, for example. Several member states expressed concerns related to the management of free movement. They were afraid that Albania would not be able to proceed with border checks and related obligations such as the fight against human trafficking. Recently, the case of North Macedonia has also come to the fore, with Bulgaria still vetoing accession talks. If you remember, North Macedonia had been wrangling for years with Athens over its former name, which was Republic of Macedonia. In 2019, the conflict with Greece was settled, but Sofia has taken over. Bulgaria claims that North Macedonia discriminates against ethnic Bulgarians on its territory. It also accuses Skopje of manipulating history and falsely attributing Macedonian origins to historical figures. In this context, the enlargement process for both Albania and North Macedonia is blocked because the two are supposed to proceed side by side. There is now a new government in Sofia, but the hopes about Bulgaria removing its veto are fading. Andrei Kovachev, himself a Bulgarian, thinks it is not the Bulgarian government that should be the focus of attention, but rather the fulfilment of the membership criteria of North Macedonia. The
2: main topic is that the candidate countries need to do more efforts to be online line with the Copenhagen criteria, with overcoming the problems from the past. And this is coming to your question. The eyes should be on Skopje, not on Sofia or on Zagreb or on the member states. I always don't understand why somebody is looking uh, in a government in Sofia if it's changing or not. Not Bulgaria is the candidate country, but Skopje is a candidate country. And uh, not in Bulgaria we preserve the communist ideology, but in countries, uh, unfortunately, like North Macedonia and uh, Serbia, these narratives from the time of the Tito communism are very much alive.
0: On the contrary, the European Commission believes that North Macedonia meets the so-called Copenhagen criteria for starting accession negotiations. Many EU actors think that the issues raised by Bulgaria are a bilateral problem between the two nations. Florian Bieber talks about nationalistic claims from Bulgaria, and for him, this undermines EU's credibility.
1: I mean, it doesn't just undermine Bulgaria, but it's really, we've seen the numbers of support for the European Union and the belief in the process dwindle uh, in North Macedonia, but also in all the other countries of the region, because of course, neighbours see that and say, wait a minute, if North Macedonia does all of those things... Um, compromises on the name, uh, reforms, and doesn't get forward, then why should we do any of that? So it really undermines uh, the, the the belief in the process of both elites as well as citizens.
0: As the war drags on at Europe's borders, more and more voices within the EU insist on the need to bring the candidate countries closer to the EU, one way or another. And since there seems to be a dead end to welcoming them quickly, the idea of reforming the whole system has been circulating. This reform could start by questioning the right of veto that member countries can use when it suits their interests. I went again to the European Parliament to hear more about this idea. French MEP Bernagetta is also in favor of such an overall of the system. He considers that there is no way to imagine a rapid integration of new members if the formula is not changed.
3: We
2: can
3: no longer sit on the brake, as we have done for so many years, with regard to the Western Balkan countries, which have been candidates for enlargements to join the European Union for so long. So we have to consider how the European Union can have a new wave of enlargement, because it would be a big one, with seven or eight countries, something like that, without blocking the institutional functioning of the
2: Union. Sans, pour autant, bloquer le fonctionnement de l'Union.
0: The EU faces a need to change not only the decision making processes, but also the enlargement procedure, and thus the treaties, according to Bernard Guetta. This is why the idea of differentiated levels of membership has been circulating in the EU affairs bubble. It takes different forms depending on who is advocating it, but it follows more or less the same logic. Enrico Letta who is a former Italian prime minister and now director of the Jacques Delors Institute, thinks of a European Confederation. The idea is that it would welcome candidates willing to join the EU on issues such as foreign affairs, policy, defense, or the fight against climate change. Other researchers have advocated the four-stage accession process, The first of these four stages would include close partnerships between the candidate and the EU, with also an introduction to the EU institutions as observers, for example. The last of these stages would be then a full membership with voting rights for the country. MEP Bernagetta also envisages a similar path for membership candidates. He imagines a three-stage rocket where countries could proceed to different levels of a membership to complete integration. The third and final level of the rocket would constitute a true European community, according to him.
2: The
3: first level would be made up of states that would be bound by a system or agreements very similar to those of the first years of European communities that follow the Treaty of Rome, that is, essentially, a common market and an adherence to the rules of the rule of law and the universal declaration of human rights. The second level would be more or less comparable to the Union as it is today, but with slightly closer links. Even much closer, since all the countries belonging to the second stage of the rocket would have to have adopted the common currency and renounce all forms of social or fiscal dumping. And then there is a third level that I would call the European Community level, taking up
2: the initial word from our history.
0: A treaty change would be difficult to reach and would take time, but Guetta is convinced that it would still be a quicker way to integrate candidate countries and secure them in the EU sphere of influence. French President Emmanuel Macron had a similar remark on the 9th of May Europe Day:
2: Nous know tous parfaitement, that the le processus leur permettant l'adhésion prendrait plusieurs années.
3: We all perfectly know that the accession procedure will take years, actually probably decades, unless we decide to lower the standards for this membership and completely rethink the unity of our Europe and sometimes the principles in the name of which we are demanding from some of our own members. Let us be clear, the EU, given its level of integration and ambition, cannot in the short term be the
2: only way to structure the European continent.
0: Macron joined the many voices calling for a different system by saying that the current EU could not be the only way to structure the European continent. He was speaking at the closure ceremony of the Conference on the Future of Europe, a series of EU-wide talks designed to bring Brussels' policymaking closer to citizens. The outcome of this experience called for a treaty change for various reasons. This demand is being greeted with varying degrees of enthusiasm by EU member states. If Macron welcomed the idea and suggested moving forward with adapting the treaties, a group of 13 member states have already warned against early reform of the institutions. As much as the European Union is a revolutionary idea at the beginning, like any revolution it can run out of steam if it is not maintained by new creative proposals, we will see if it will be able to revise its enlargement model and thus its geopolitical role on the European continent. That's it for now. Come back soon for another episode of Voices from Brussels. A bientôt!